five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I'm bringing you a kidney warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from Leeds, England is security consultant Chris Hardy. Chris is married to Janet and they have five children. Chris's journey with kidney disease began in 2002 when he was diagnosed with lupus. Chris later received a kidney transplant in August 2020. Chris is currently training to represent Kidney Care UK at the 2022 London Marathon in October and joins me to share his story and charity fundraising campaign to raise awareness and help families affected by kidney disease. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm very well, thank you, Dave. Yourself? I'm good, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. It really is an honour to speak with you today. And as everyone knows, I absolutely love recording Kidney Warrior stories because, as I've said many times, it is so powerful to learn from people's lived experiences. So I'm really excited to hear about your story today. Yeah, looking forward to telling the story. Yes, thank you. So I'm going to start with my first question. And my first question is, how did your kidney warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed? Yeah, great question. So my journey started as a silent problem with my health, which I wasn't aware of back in 2002. Very fit and healthy at the time. I was in a squash league, cycled and run quite a lot, but noticed very, very small changes in my physicality, fitness, my well-being. I was getting a little bit more tired more than usual, which was unusual in itself. And I had a, a nagging problem with the side of my abdomen, which wasn't going away. And we went to, or should I say, we, um, we went to the emergency doctors. We had, our, had, had all the bloods taken, checks and everything looked very healthy. But the problem did us inside for me. And over the course of probably a couple of weeks and a number of return visits to the doctors, we did a, a diastix test, which indicated that there was a problem with the urine. So on that, I was then very swiftly on the same day referred to the Sheffield Teaching Hospital to their nephrology unit for further investigative work and some more blood work to find out the problem. And very quickly, within the course of probably 24 hours, they made an initial diagnosis of saying there was a, it was a nephrology problem, nephritis. It was described to me as an acute problem that perhaps could be treated with medication, but at the time really didn't understand or appreciate the severity of what was being said. 
there were some uncertainties about that. I wasn't educated. I was confused about what I was being told. The first thing that I thought about at the time was actually, am I in trouble? You know, what does this mean? Because it doesn't make any sense. What impact is that going to have on my well-being and my health? And, you know, it was explained to me that we think we can get on top of this problem with some medication, but we need you to come into hospital as an inpatient for a couple of days so we can do some further tests. And we also need to do a biopsy, which was a completely new word to me. I wasn't even aware of what that entailed. And probably within a course of about three days, and subsequently after having the biopsy, we found out very quickly that there was a problem with the kidney, or the kidneys, should I say, or the native kidneys. And what was presented then to me via the consultant at the nephrology department, or as, as an inpatient, of course, was we think you've got systemic lupus erythematosus, SLE. And I was, you know, really bamboozled by that, didn't know what SLE were. What does this mean now? You know, the story is different to what it were a couple of days ago, where we think it's a, an acute problem, it could be treated with medicine, to now be told, well, actually, it's this unknown word that, that I've never heard of before, SLE. And it was described to me as, your autoimmune system is superhuman. Your body is trying to kill your organs, for a better word. Wow. And at the moment, it's, ha- yeah, it's, you know, and that, you know, that's quite, it's quite a powerful statement. And the consultant said, look, you know, there are treatments available, but what we need to do now is we need to put you in a course of medication, which included quite a lot of steroid treatment, a lot of treatment around blood pressure tablets, my blood pressure were elevated. And also at the time, I had quite a lot of edema. You know, my legs had swelled enormously over the period of probably about four or five days. And my kidney, or should I say my kidneys, they were in rapid decline. And it was all attributed to what the biopsy presented to the consultant to say, well, actually, we think now it is SLE, systemic lupus erythematosus. We really need to do something. We need to do something quite quickly. So my couple of days visit as an inpatient for further investigation and analysis actually turned out to be about a three-week visit, all told, because my condition deteriorated quite quickly. My kidney function deteriorated quite quickly. I think it was teetering on about 20% function at one point. And all of this had happened within a space of, or the course of a matter of weeks, you know, from my first initial problems of minor fatigue to to going into hospital we're probably talking about three four weeks maximum and yeah and during those first three weeks Dave what happened were there was lots of other things that were being presented that were linked to then to this problem with the kidney disease which was born from the autoimmune disease there was problems then with you know elevated blood levels with other complications around toxins in the body creatinine was very, very high. I think from memory, it was as high as 800 in terms of the count at the time. Wow! And to put that into perspective, I think as a normal healthy adult, I think that runs at probably something like 90 points, you know, just, just as an example. So I was way off the scale and the pace at which it happened as well was enormous. You know, it was, uh, and it was frightening, you know, My whole world was kind of shot to bits by something that we thought we could get to the bottom of quite quickly. 
and then to be presented with actually you've got a very rare disease which is typically not found in in adult males and to be told well actually we don't know an awful lot about it at the moment but there is a lot of research going on and in the three weeks that I was there as a an inpatient you know the the course of treatment that was prescribed changed quite regularly they were trying to get the cocktail of medication uh, a level that was would keep me stable before they could look at alternative interventions thankfully we didn't get to a point where we needed dialysis but there were lots of other problems and complications you know i had uh, massive problems with my joints swelling pretty much all over my face my hands my arms my legs core mobility was it, it, you know it was um, it was affected tremendously and just things like you know laying down at night you know trying to get your head down you know at night was a nightmare because there was so much fluid rolling around in my body i was almost like a spirit level you know so in the day all the fluid had drained down my body into a better words you know into my legs and then in the morning having been laid flat on the bed at night sleeping you'd wake up then with a fat face so all these dynamics you know and everything happening quite quickly really frightening lots of uncertainty about well actually what what is this you know and the internet back in the day as well wasn't as great as what it is now in terms of the wealth of information that's out there and it's like anything you can start self diagnose you know and i then really started to worry and thinking about the worst outcomes with this yeah it was a harrowing harrowing start to my kidney worry kidney disease journey and it progressively got worse for a period of time i was so poorly that within probably 3 months of being diagnosed with sle i was treated intravenously with a cocktail of drugs one of which was cyclophosphamide so i went on a course of chemotherapy treatment for i think it was 10 or 11 weeks i can't remember now and then that in itself brings about other challenges with that you know losing all my hair yeah i mean i've been lucky because i've i've grown my hair but some of the other side effects of that longer term is 20 years on i've still not got no hair pretty much on my arms or legs which is an odd side effect you know it never seemed to they never seemed to return for me but i seem to get the uh, the full head of hair back again thankfully always you know i'm a bit older and a little bit greyer now than what i were 20 years ago you know so you had a lot to deal with i mean from being a very physically fit person playing squash because i know squash is a really really high impact sport yeah, so then yeah. feeling unwell and then going through not knowing what it was and that's something i can relate to because i didn't get my diagnosis until 7 weeks into the hospital so i can really relate to what it's like when they they're saying oh it could be this or it could be that and and then you're dealing emotionally and psychologically with well is it this and is it that and how does that affect me i can only imagine how difficult it was and then to go from being told that it was acute to now having to come to terms with the fact that it's now chronic and lifelong i can only imagine how difficult that was for you at that time and then to then go on to having a treatment which is so strong has so many long lasting side effects again 
that is a lot to deal with in a very, very short space of time. So yeah, how think, did you get your mind around that? Yeah, do you know, it's a great question. And, you know, in some respects, there was no time to think about it. First and foremost, front and centre was all about, you know, in some respects, getting stability, trying to get over the line in terms of, you know, the big thing for me that I found more, you know, really difficult was, yeah, the treatment was really invasive. You know, it was hard work. You know, some of the oddities, you know, some listeners may relate to the fact that, you know, if you've had chemotherapy or any drugs intravenously before, is the after effects of feeling like you're out of your body. You know, there's all of these uh, emotions and these uh, scenarios that are unfolding that, you know, you've never encountered before, let alone the fact that of the worry, the uncertainty. And, you know, just coming back to your question, it all just happened so very, very quickly. And I was very, very poorly as well, you know, immensely poorly. And the thing for me was about rest and recovery and trying to get myself into the best position I could. You know, I was in and out of hospital. You know, I'd go for an outpatient appointment one week. I'd be in hospital again that day for, you know, two weeks, three weeks, maybe more dependent upon the severity of what those tests were presenting. And in some respects, there was never really a time to get my head around it. I think there was more of a time of reflection about, you know, perspective on, you know, your health and well-being. What we're going to do when we get the other side of this, you know, how are we going to get to the other side of it? What does that, what's it going to look like? You know, what effect is that going to have on me longer term? You know, going through this journey with, you know, from being so fit and healthy and then so quickly deteriorating. And that was the thing that worried me. But you've got all these things going on, D, you know, the worry, the uncertainty the fatigue, the the outcomes from the invasive treatment that you're having. And I think for me, good time for reflection, good time for prayer, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, I have a very good network of people around me that helped me through that, particularly family and my wife at the time. And um, my children were very, well, my, my only child at the time, Matthew, I've got three children to my ex-wife, and uh, he was only about 14 months, very unaware of it all. So you've got that to, to the mix as well about thinking about, you know, longer term legacy of, you know, what if it's always kind of the what if, well, you know, what if the worst comes to worst? And it was it was really bad. You know, I, I remember where I had a, a cannula in my hand one day because they needed to administer antibiotics and I had a cannula in my neck. It was the only place where to do it, you know, so it's really, you know, it was kind of. I'd been down to the deepest, darkest depths in my story, which was worrying for me, but also worrying for my wife at the time, you know, and the family and friends around me. So I don't think I ever really got to grips with it. I think I just focused more on, you know, what can I do? And in most cases, very limited because of the fatigue. So often when people with chronic illnesses talk about fatigue, I don't think people who don't have a chronic illness, understand what we mean by that. So I just want to talk a little bit about that because as we've spoken about before, you were a very, very fit person prior to chronic kidney disease and now you're in a position of being tired. So when you're talking about fatigue, could you describe to the listeners how bad that is? Yeah, it's a good question. 
there's two aspects to that probably I want to handle in some respects. I always used to say when somebody was really poorly, and particularly if somebody had a life-threatening illness, you know, I don't want to mention the C word, but I'd use that as an example. I always used to say, well, I fight through it. I'm strong enough. I'm healthy enough. I'm not going to let it beat me. And to answer your question about the element about fatigue, for me, it was almost like running 100 mile an hour and then just hitting a brick wall, you know, where from one day you are really healthy, you're able to walk, you're able to run. And within the space of probably a week from being diagnosed and being in hospital as an inpatient and then having swollen legs and physically not being able to keep yourself awake because you've all the other complications linked to the the problem with the kidney disease going hand in hand. You can't eat and drink properly. You're not getting the nutrients that you need. You're not getting the substance that, that you need to give you the energy, the calorific value to keep you going. And, you know, for yourself and many of your listeners and, and myself, you know, when you go on to wards as an inpatient, you know, on a kidney ward, you know that you're on a kidney ward because generally everybody's asleep. 89% of their, you know, their day is, is, is in rest, particularly for those that are really poorly. And the fatigue element is enormous. The simple things that you take for granted in life, being able to walk upstairs, if you've got uh, swollen legs, you've got fluid in your, you know, extra fluid that you're carrying around. And as I say, you're not getting the right nutrients and then, you know, the right diet. Water intake, you know, if you're, if you're on water ration as well, yeah, it is tough, really, really, really tough. And, you know, it was, I, I, didn't, I didn't really think about it at the time, but, you know, very, very early on when we thought there's a problem here on the horizon, which then followed with all the investigations, the blood work, the inpatient treatment, probably about four weeks before it kind of got serious linked to the pain that I had in my abdomen. I used to work from home quite a lot and I found myself falling asleep at the desk in my, my home office on a couple of occasions, which was really unusual for me. You know, I was 27 at the time, young, fit and healthy, and I'd find myself just drifting off. Whereas, uh, you know, say you take it back a year before when I was 26, you'd be up till midnight. You wouldn't be able to sleep, <laughs> you know? Yes. It really is really tough. And I think sometimes when people use the word tired, when people hear that, they don't hear or understand what you've just described. And I think it's really important to let people know that there are so many side effects to having kidney disease that affect people on a daily basis that make daily life that much more challenging. I think it's important yep. that people know how difficult the challenge is and what people have to overcome and why we do call ourselves kidney warriors because I think it takes a warrior to be able to handle and deal with all of the things that kidney warriors face on, on a daily basis. So from having the diagnosis and the treatments that you had, was the treatment successful? Did it help to control the decline of your kidney function? Or did your kidneys continue to decline? Yeah, a combination of the two, really. The chemotherapy had a profound effect, a positive, profound effect. 
from being diagnosed in the March of 2002 to probably the September. So what we're looking at there, probably five in the, co- in the course of five months, the 11 or 12 weeks of the treatment that I had within that period had a real profound effect in that it put an absolute stop on what was going on. It stopped the aggressive, progressive state of the lupus. It didn't necessarily have a positive effect in terms of the kidney recovering. That was longer term. That was long down the line. But it had a profound effect in terms of halting that progression of the disease and providing a period of stability. And I would say probably it was the course over, you know, nearly 12 months after that, that we started to see some form of stability in terms of blood work. The results were kind of going in the right way in terms of we were getting on top of blood pressure. We were getting on top of diet because for such a long period of time, I wasn't eating properly. You know, I'd lost nearly three stone in weight in those four months because wow. I wasn't able to eat. Yeah. It, it, you know, and that, that was another, you know, another negative effect of kidney disease and what was going on because I was yearning for food. You know, I've got a healthy appetite, you know, and I was yearning for food and I, you know, I was, I was drawn to tears some nights, you know, I couldn't eat, you know, I wanted it, my body wanted it, but you know, the disease and the problems with the kidney wouldn't allow me to eat, you know, it it was just physically impossible. And I'd say from the end of the course of chemotherapy in the September, middle of September of 2002, probably up until the May of the June of 2003, we then started to see some marked improvements in terms of, yeah, stable blood work on top of blood pressure, starting to eat and drink a little bit better and a little bit normally. And the big thing was the function was starting to return. Ironically, you know, it went as low as 20, 25% when I was originally diagnosed with the lupus. But it bounced back enormously and miraculously to about 58% at its peak. But that was from 2003 to 2008. It took nearly five years of really careful living, looking after myself, doing all the right things, basically, and taking all the advice and guidance from the consultants that I think helped get to that point. But it was short-lived. That 58% was the last hurrah. It was the point where we probably peaked, and then it kind of went, my function just steadily declined, stabilized at about 38 40%, and it stayed there for quite a while. But yeah, it was nearly five years post-treatment that it took to get the kidney back to its normal level. But unfortunately, because of the high blood pressure and the medication and the treatment, the kidneys sustained quite a lot of scarring. And as I'm sure yourself and a lot of your listeners will know, where your kidney's scarred, there's no recovery from that, you know. It's dead tissue. It will never, never come back, you know. So, yeah, uh, it, it was a long journey, a long journey to get to that point. 
And as you know, it didn't stop there. So I know that you went on to have a kidney transplant. How did that come about? My kidney function had stabilised, as, uh, as we talked about earlier. And in 2018, towards the back end of 2018, actually, I suffered a bad bout of gout, excruciating pain. If anybody knows, I'm sure some of your listeners yourself can relate to this. You know, even just having the bed blankets on, you can be excruciating to touch. And I had this horrible bout of gout and I couldn't walk so much that I was on my hands and knees. It was awful. So for people who don't know what gout is, could you explain what gout is? Yeah, my interpretation is, is is that when the kidneys aren't working efficiently and they're not clearing out all the toxins, one of the things that happens is, is that your body can have a buildup of uric acid and the uric acid then creates crystals and they collect around your joints and they really, really like big toes right. for whatever reasons. I mean, I've had gout in my hands. I've had gout in my face and my jaw. I've had it in my knee. Uh, I was diagnosed with housemaid's knee once with gout when my knee had swelled terribly. But yeah, the onset of those crystals collecting around your joints means that your feet, your toes, they swell enormously. Lots of inflammation, very hot and you know, very uncomfortable. You can't wear shoes. You can't walk properly. And for me, when that happened late 2018, you know, I was on my hands and knees. It wasn't an unfamiliar story for me. I used to suffer terribly with gout very, very early on with the kidney disease. But we seemed to get on top of it because we were managing that with Allipurinol. And for this to happen, whilst that was being managed with prescribed medication, was quite. it was a worry. So we went, we checked into the local GP, GP prescribed the what I call the magic pills trying to think what a colchizine a couple of three of those and you know normally gout had subside but for me it didn't you know it's quite aggressive there was quite a lot of buildup of this uric acid you know a good indication kidney's not happy something's not right and I was then referred having the GP having read back my notes from my former GP and um the consultant notes at the Sheffield Teaching Hospital where I was originally under their care, he very quickly referred me then to St. James to, to have further investigative work done, blood work, tests, etc. And when the blood work came back, my function had deteriorated to about 19%. For no known real reason, it was, as I say, it was probably 38 40% waxed and waned you know it might have been 36 and 41 but you know depending upon diet what you're doing if you know if you're tired other things like stress has an enormous effect on kidneys and particularly if you've got high blood pressure there was a lot going on back in 2018 personally emotionally and i don't know was that a trigger but what we found out very very quickly again was the kidney had, de- or should I say, the kidneys had deteriorated enormously. And it wasn't predicted. You know, I thought that I was going to live a relatively healthy, stable life on the function that I had. And it wasn't meant to be because that over the course then probably of three years, the function then just continued to deteriorate. It was in a, and it was in a decline. We couldn't stop 
what was happening, you know, with us, a course of treatment in terms of blood pressure medication. We couldn't get on top of the blood pressure. And there was a lot of scarring, the tissueing around of the kidneys. It was scarred and, the, you know, we just couldn't get to the bottom of it. And over the course of, as, as I say, probably 20 months, you know, the, the kidneys declined from what was 19% GFR right down to 7% uh, its lowest pre-transplant for me. We'd had the nurse, you know, the dialysis team come out to our home. We planned dialysis at home, the course of treatment that we were going to have. We'd converted a, a room specifically for this next stage in the journey in terms of the treatment and, you know, what quality of life, you know, being at health of that flexibility of having dialysis treatment at home. And in late 2019, I was approached by the team to say, now we're looking at dialysis. We need to think about now getting you onto the transplant register in readiness because the wait can be anything from 18 months to three and a half, four, five years. You know, there's, there's no golden ticket, but we need to think about doing all the preparation and getting you ready for if we're ever in a position to transplant you with a, with a kidney. And um, then, of course, in uh, 2020, we, we had COVID hit. And all bets were off then, pretty much. I, I wasn't going into hospital like so many people. You know, surgeries were cancelled, outpatient clinics cancelled. And for a period of about five months without having any real intervention with the consultants at Leeds, we were just kind of continuing with medication. I was then approached in the March to say, look, we're halting any transplants. You know, we're ceasing any, any transplants now because of COVID. We will let you know when, when we're opening up the register again and we're going to start doing transplants. And that call came in the March. I think it was probably about a week after the, the announcement by uh, the Prime Minister about the lockdown. And then if you fast forward then to probably the May, I got then another call in the May to say, look, we are a handful of hospitals that are, are doing transplants. Not all hospitals are doing them around the UK. We think for you, the benefits of a transplant far outweigh the risks of getting COVID right now. Would you like to go back on the list? Absolutely, yeah. Why, why wouldn't you? I, I would like to go back on the list. And, you know, I was at the point there then where, you know, I hadn't even started dialysis because everything came to a halt. You know, we'd done the pre-assessment at home. We'd done the assessment for what my dialysis needs would work for me, my family, my wife, and all of that just stopped. And to get that call to say, we're going to put you back on the list was, you know, it was a real sense of relief, if I'm honest, thinking that there's progress. And as daft as it seems, the progress is as simple as getting a call to say, we're going to put you back on the list. That was enormous for me back in the May. And to add to that, we... We had a wedding planned, which was cancelled because of COVID. Like so many, many other people up and down the UK, we had that rearranged on a couple of occasions to be cancelled all around what was going on with health, being put back onto the transplant list. You know, we finally got the wedding on the third time of asking rearranged for the 1st of August. And it was so bizarre. You know, we got married. We had a week off work. We had a bit of a honeymoon. And we'd returned to work for a week. 
and then on a Saturday morning to get a call from on your caller ID from the renal transplant nurse team, you think, oh, what are you ringing me for on a Saturday? You know, something's going on. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so yeah, I, I, you know, I got the call at 10.51 on the 15th of January to say, we think we've got you a kidney. Take a minute to take that in. We're going to call you back in 15 minutes just so you can get your wife together. There's some prep. There's some things that we need to do and we need to talk to you about and expectations. So, yeah, you know, what a journey in terms of getting to that place in such a difficult time with uncertainty and what was going around in the world, you know, with COVID and everything. Yeah, elated at getting the call and very, very nervous, the uncertainty, major, major operation. Yeah, but very, very excited at the same time. That is incredible. I mean, to get the call so soon into your journey without going on to dialysis and also getting married and planning that as well and everything that was happening in the world to do with the pandemic, that must have been like so happy but frightening all at the same time. I mean, you know, going into the hospital during COVID obviously was a very different experience than anybody had experienced before, not being able to have visitors while you have such a major operation. You know, how did you feel about that? What was going through your head at that time? Yeah, I was a little bit worried about that. And, you know, I was actually worried about it for my wife. She worries. She's a worrier. Uh, for all the right reasons. We, You know, we all do it. It's our, it's our nature as human beings. But what I will say is, is that uh, Leeds teaching hospitals were fantastic. You know, when, when we got that call and we arrived at the kidney clinic, if you will, on, on the floor, on the ward, they actually permitted my wife, Janet, to come in with me, to sit with me while we underwent the pre-assessment tests and the COVID and the swabs and the cleaning and the preparation. And there's a lot going on, a lot to take in. And, you know, one of the things we've not mentioned to yourself or your listeners is my wife used to be a nurse at ICU at the same hospital for 13, 14 years. And for me, it was a real comfort that they were very accommodating at a time where there was a lot of uncertainty about COVID and a lot of restrictions that were going on. But they were very, very, very accommodating. They situated as in a room off the ward away from a, you know an area of where it may have been a risk for anybody that was very poorly or they'd received a transplant or were waiting for a transplant and they were very very accommodating and Janet stayed with me right up until as I say we arrived I think it was just shortly after one maybe half one in the afternoon and Janet stayed with me till just about 7 30 in the evening because there's a lot going on in the background you know, I didn't realise a lot of what goes on. Kidneys arrive, kidneys having tests, lots of people being pulled together, all in the background and all over this course of this time. You know, Janet was allowed to stay with me and she left about 7.30. And I remember getting a call from Janet about 10 past eight and it was too late. I'd been whisked away. The hospital were very, very good with visiting. I was in a private room for a couple of days you know, during that early process of recovery 
and they again they were great janet could come visit me an hour a day and that continued right up until i left the hospital on the friday and they were amazing you know they were phenomenal they were very accommodating very sympathetic to that and uh you know i'm very grateful for them enabling me to have somebody with me because you know it's a lot of uncertainty i was worried you know i was frightened a little bit you know being honest about it i'm going to go through something that i've never done before and it was a great comfort knowing that my wife was there before we had the procedure because it was comforting for me i'm sure it's comforting for janet as well knowing that we were together so following on from your transplant what difference has the transplant made to your life? Well, I've always had a raging appetite and, you know, and that's come back with an vengeance, that first <laughs> and foremost. You know, I think, why is that? Why would listeners say, well, well, actually, you, you can eat properly. And the way I phrase it is your kidneys start to chew through things a bit better. It's like a poorly kidney is like having a wet sponge where if you hang it up, and don't squeeze it, that's all that's coming out. If you imagine a really healthy kidney and you take a sponge and you squeeze it, and that's the only analogy I can give to getting a good kidney and the transformation in terms of I can eat and drink normally and my kidney is doing all the things that it needs to do to remove the waste, to keep the good stuff, and to ensure that I'm not retaining any fluid. And as I say, the big thing for me that I noticed more so within probably the first week was the sudden weight loss because of the amount of fluid that I was retaining. I wasn't aware I was retaining. You know, it was just normal for me. I'd been like that for such a long time, didn't really realize. And that for me was the big thing. So the weight loss, but also being able to confidently take a drink and know that, you know, you're not going to retain it was massive so things like the tiredness as well did that immediately improve yeah uh, yeah immediately so much so before i had the transplant one of the things that started happening was i was immensely cold all the time from the january of 2020 till the point of receiving the transplant in august i was immensely cold all the time if the sun wasn't out blaring and it was red hot, I was cold. I remember when we had a week off work, we went to Whitby to see some friends. It was a mild August day. You know, it wasn't particularly hot in terms of the sun beating down, but it was mild. It was, you know, say 18, 19 degrees. I was sat outside with a sleeping bag because it was, you know, immensely cold. So, yeah, the fatigue almost seemed to have disappeared overnight. I was more active. Yes, I was in a period of convalescence and recovery, you know, and, you know, you're not working now for three months. You need to have a complete rest. And I did. And, you know, I was very, very compliant with that respect, but I noticed, you know, eating and drinking fatigue had almost disappeared overnight. And the other thing, I wasn't as cold, you know, and in the winter time, in the December, we actually had some bad snow. And I remember being out with the dog and I was walking the dog and I just had my shorts on. And I was always, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, bizarre. And I was always like this, you know, years and years and years ago, the first break of spring, you know, you get to the end of March, 
yeah, it might still be a little bit nippy outside, you know, for some, but I'd always try and get the shorts on. And for many years, that almost kind of, you know, disappeared into the ether, that habit. But yeah, I started, I was out and about in December with shorts on. And then when we got into the new year, I remember it being one of the coldest, you know, 2021, it was bitterly cold in Leeds, minus one, minus two, minus three some days, really, really cold with a wind chill factor. And I was out walking the dog and I had my shorts on. I had a fleece on top and a hat, but I only had my shorts on. And and the reason why I had them on that particular day was I just thought, oh, well, they're there. And I'll just grab those and put those and I'll walk the dog and I'll get some proper clothes on when I get back. So, yeah, those three things for me, yeah, fatigue overnight kind of disappeared. Concentration levels improved enormously. My health and well-being around, you know, diet improved immensely. And the cold shivers just kind of disappeared overnight. That is incredible. It is amazing the difference that it has made to your quality of life. So much so that I know that you're paying it forward by running a marathon. I know that you're going to be doing the TCS London Marathon and representing Kidney Care UK. So tell us about that. Well, I can tell you I've never done a marathon before. Yeah, I was an avid runner when I was at school, but, you know, that was a long, long time ago. So, yeah, why a marathon and why do I want to do it? I Well, there's two things for me, really, I guess. One is that it's a great privilege to run the London Marathon. I think it's probably the single most important challenge for me physically in terms of, you know, getting over the line. But also being able to represent Kidney Care UK for me is the story about the hope and also the great work that the NHS do. And also the team at Kidney Care are fantastic. And, you know, in terms of what the little bit I can do to raise awareness around kidney disease, but running 26.1 miles around London and trying to get a few quid along the way for doing that is enormous because that little bit in terms of what I can do and the, the the charitable funds that I can raise, that's going to help some of those families now that are, you know, they're starting their journey or they're midway through what that journey is for that individual, those families. And I just think, you know, I, I'm in a position now where I want to do something that demonstrates the real success and, you know, of, and the outcome of, you know, having a transplant. And I want to do something meaningful. Is it a lasting legacy? I don't think so. There may be more, but I want to be able to do this, not just for me, but I want to be able to do it with the help and support of kidney care to enable them to continue to raise awareness of kidney disease, provide that much needed financial support to families that are going through their journey. So, yeah, we... You know, I say we, me and my wife, we've been training. We've paused it momentarily over a few weeks. We had a bad cough and cold, chest infection. Thankfully, we didn't have COVID. I had some investigative work done on my transplanted kidney, so I was taking it steady. But yeah, we're picking things back up now. We're now full steam ahead, raising awareness about the cause, raising awareness of kidney care and yeah, I'm looking forward to that challenge. It is going to be the biggest, toughest challenge that I've ever done, but insignificant in some respects because thinking back to what I'd gone through and how difficult it was for me, 
I think it's going to help others, you know, in terms of, you know, that financial aid and support that kidney care can provide. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think we've got 40 runners in the group this year, all of different abilities. I'm not setting my stall out with a time. Yeah, I'm just going to get over the line, whatever that looks like. Hopefully they've not put all the barriers away. That is absolutely amazing. And your heart towards giving to others and supporting others and raising awareness, you know, is admirable. So I'm wishing you all the very best and the group that will be joining with you as well. I wish you all the best with completing the marathon. So for anybody who wants to donate or sponsor you, how do they do so? Yeah, there's a couple of things. The free gifts that would help enormously, Dee, is that I've got a Facebook page that I've created. Anybody can find me on Facebook if they search for Kidney Warrior Leads, which is all one word. On there, there is details around sponsorship, my Just Giving page. I've got a text to donate number, which we've kindly set up with the help and support from Kidney Care. So if anybody can spare a fiver, they can text Kidney Chris to 70460. And there is a disclaimer on the uh, the Facebook page around if you don't want any info, you need to text Kidney Chris, no info, essentially. But yeah, people, your, your listeners can, can find me on Facebook, Kidney Warrior Leads. It'd be immense if everybody could like and share that page and just help me get out and about and get some awareness about that challenge. And yeah, the donations can come through the text donate or via the Just Giving page. I've got an Instagram account now that's set up. So it's the similar thread. You know, if you look for Kidney Warrior Leads on Instagram, you'll see me on there. But yeah, Facebook and Instagram, Kidney Warrior Leads. And again, on Just Giving, it's Kidney Warrior Leads as well. Thank you. And yes, let's get behind Chris and the rest of the runners in raising money and awareness for kidney patients across the UK. So that is Kidney Warrior Leads on Facebook. You can text Kidney Chris on 70460 and on Instagram, it's Kidney Warrior Leads. But I'll also put all of that information in the description box. So let's really get behind Chris and support him in this absolutely amazing course. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, be great. So can you give a final word of encouragement for the listeners? Yeah, final word of encouragement. I think the word of encouragement I can give to anybody is to have faith and just believe. I think you always need to surround yourself with a great support network of help and love and care. Laughter is massive. You know, we talked about that earlier. Everybody's going on their own journey. I think that it's good for people to talk to each other to understand and recognize the journey you're going through and to know that you aren't going through that journey on your own, you know. And kidney disease, I think, is probably a disease that's probably not seen as much out in the public domain as other known illnesses and diseases. So, yeah, connect, talk to each other, care for each other, and just have some faith and belief in you know, getting over the line and getting to where you need to be. 
I've got great faith in the NHS and I know we've talked about that earlier and they are fantastic, you know. But yeah, that for me is, you know, in simple terms, there's a little bit of a closing statement. It's not one word. There's a lot to it. You've got to believe and have a little bit of faith in, along the way and talk to each other. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story, for sharing that word of encouragement and also all the very best with the marathon. We're going to be cheering you on and please, everybody, let's get behind Chris as he runs this marathon 26.1 miles. Yes, 26.1, I believe, yeah. That is a lot. So let's get behind Chris. Let's believe for him, believe with him and please send your donations through. And thank you so much, Chris. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks again, Dee. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.